McNair. Howdy, everyone. How are you? Good. That's great. Uh, actually, for the whole presentation, I'd actually uh, like you to just stand up here and do nothing the whole time. No, I'm just kidding. That was, uh, I felt terrible for those who were here for the sermon, and I handed out zeros and stuff. So uh, uh, anyway, I apologize publicly now as well. Right? Uh, in fact, uh, during, uh, hopefully about two-thirds of the way through, we're going to go to my office. Uh, not because there's anything exciting. It's not going to be a studio with any electronics. It's going to be a whiteboard. That's it. But uh, you'll actually see the genesis of that mistake. But I gave her a, a Starbucks card, you notice, that was filled with cash. No, it wasn't much. But anyway, it was just a little something, so I appreciated that. And thank you all for that. It did make the impression that I wanted to make, at least as some people reported, uh, because... You get so many zeros, it just does. You can't do the number justice anymore. You know, you just can't. We we strive. That's one of the things we'll talk about here to to get some things like that across. Uh, how many uh, how many is this? Well, if you were to take the Grand Canyon and fill it with rice, you know, uh, how many rice grains of rice would that be? Well, that kind of boggles the mind, right? In fact, I did that for one of the. Some of you might have been here. We did a Bible study about the last great day and tried to talk about how many people have died and how much the church represents. And so we pictured all that with actual grains of rice, but those numbers, just so you know, there's not even enough rice in the universe, you know, to actually make up some of those numbers, so at sometimes what you're trying to communicate, the details don't matter as much as the impression, because the impression is the biggest thing you can get, it's actually the most you can get across, and even just seeing num zeros grow from this to this can make that impression, even though people don't know, they, they can't comprehend the number you're describing. So, in fact, if you try to just describe the two numbers, you end up getting nothing. But if you actually aim, I know this sounds odd, a little lower, then you can actually get what you aim for, and sometimes that's the most you can. And that's kind of the choices we have to make in editorial all the time. So I was asked to talk about the department and what we do and, 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 and how we function. Uh, how we function is actually pretty easy. I can send you all a, uh, uh, okay, how do you, okay, let's take a survey. How many of you say, we're going to say GIF and GIF. How many of you say GIF for G-I-F? How many of you say GIF? Wow, this is rough. You know, it's, it is a graphical, right? G stands for graphical, so I tend to go for GIF, but then it just makes GIF people angry. Uh, and this is the kind of stuff that we sweat in editorial all the time, these painful kind of choices. Anyway, so there's a great GIF out there of uh, Kermit the Frog typing at a typewriter, and I found it just the other day, and my wife wanted to know how I was doing at Starbucks because I was working, and I had this, he's just slapping away the typewriter, you know, like a, like a great Muppet. I said, this is it. This is what I'm doing. So being a good wife, she sends me a, uh, another one of... of uh, Miss Piggy kind of hugging. She was hugging Mark Hamill. She couldn't find one where she's hugging Kermit, but it was. It, I got the point. It was, it was all right. uh, okay, the editorial department. So in terms of what we do, or the structure is very simple. Uh, Mr. Weston is the editor-in-chief. So he gets to make every decision he would ever want to make concerning the magazine, etc. It's his job to really set the pace, uh, set the vision. What is it we want to communicate? How do we want to communicate that? Uh, that's his job. That's what, that's what he's there for. And when we lack clarity on that, then he's the person that we ask, you know, to, to make sure that we're we're clear with. Uh, he he's very hands-on in that regard. Actually, he likes being a part of the process and he likes being involved until it's at the point where he doesn't, and then he doesn't want to be involved, right? It's 
It actually reminds me of uh, Mr. Greer's leadership style when I first started pastoring in Ohio. Actually, right before I started pastoring in Ohio, when he and I were meeting, and, and I want to make sure I understood what he wanted. And he said, uh, he said, hey, I want to be here to help. I want to be here for all the things you need me for. But I don't want to do your job. I want you to do your job, you know. But I want to do my job. So if you need me, and so actually it was remarkably clarifying, even though it sounds pretty obvious, like saying two plus two is four, right? Uh, he wants you to do your job, uh, but he's very willing to do his job. And yet it really was kind of clarifying for me. And it, what it did was it pressed me in those times when uh, I thought I might need him for something to really evaluate. You know, do I? And same thing with Mr. Weston. You know, he's a busy person who, as some of y'all probably already experienced, he's probably far more generous with his time than he ought to be, actually. Uh, but he's there to give that kind of guidance and give that perspective, and so that's our job is to defer to that. So he is the editor-in-chief. Under him is Mr. Ames, who is the uh, director of media in general, which definitely includes editorial. So he's the uh, a director of the editorial department and brings with him a, uh, a wisdom and a balance that uh, actually I envy and I hope to achieve by the time I'm 140 or so. <laughs> Uh, it's really, sometimes I think I have him down in terms of what he wants and what he expects, and then he'll just surprise me and, and, and like something completely unexpected that I, that I didn't. Like when we do cover selection, we're looking at covers, and I kind of go through and think, okay, I don't think he'll like these, I do think he'll like these, but we always try to give a mix. Uh, and sometimes you're spot on, and it's like, I know he wouldn't like that one, you know, I, I know it. And then other times he's picking something else, like, who are you? Who replaced Mr. Ames with someone else? You know, so he, on one hand, he's very consistent, but that consistency is rooted in values and the things he, he cares about. A uh, good example uh, that where I was surprised is we were picking the cover for Dr. Meredith's book, the Protestant Reformation book. And I ran it by Mr. Weston, ran it by Mr. Ames, and I, I try to run them by them independently so they have a chance to, to freely kind of come up with their ideas, then we sort of put them all together. And I'd already run them by uh, Mr. Weston. Mr. Uh, it was at the end of the day. Mr. Ames had already been gone, but I got him the next day. And he looked at one cover. It's the one we're actually going to use. And there's sort of a subtitle under it that's sort of descriptive. We're not doing this cover like other booklets because it's a book, and we want it to feel like a book. We want it to look like a book. So the style matches more what you'd see at Barnes & Noble or, or something else. The booklets we want to look like they're all part of a family. So they're increasingly all the same style. They look like they belong together, as opposed to being kind of a ransom note hodgepodge of different looks. But this, we want it to look like something you'd get off the off the shelf. So it's you know uh, the plain truth about the Protestant Reformation, and then beneath is this sort of subtitle. Uh, you know, did Martin Luther accomplish such and such, or was it something unexpected? It's a little subtitle, and he just saw immediately. He said, I shouldn't have to read all this. Why, why, you know, why is that there? It is distracting. And I said, well, it's, if it's the style of some books. Um, and he said, yeah, he goes, I just, they should get it from the title. You know, it should be that clear. And so, but he did like it other than that. So he wanted different varieties of that. And then, um, but you also recognize these guys don't have that much time, right? They're busy guys, so you're, you're minimized. So that was the feedback I got on that one. Then there was another one that had the same subtitle, but the font was different, et cetera. It was a totally different kind of cover. And I thought he'd zero right. In fact, it even added more text above Dr. Meredith's name, which sometimes that happens as well. Again, it was different styles. But he didn't complain at all. He, he didn't say a bad thing there. Or the other text was even what we call lorum ipsum. It's just a bunch of random, not really random, still Latin words that, that meant to look like text, but in a non-distracting way. 
So they, they visually feel like text, but because they're not actually English words, they don't draw your eye and they don't require you to, your brain to process reading. It's a, there's a science behind moral ipsum, believe it or not. But anyway, and he didn't say anything. He said, oh, I, yeah, this is kind of nice. I like this. It's like, well, and I told him, because they're very open. I'm very grateful. I said, well, you just complained about the other one, Mr. Ames, because the text goes, yeah, because if, if this one, though, he said, just when you look at it, it's just the, the font choice, everything else. It's just not, it just, it doesn't demand that I read it. And so I feel like it's giving me permission to, to notice, and the title is far more bold in that one, to notice the title and then to, to move on. And uh, I appreciated the subtlety of that, because as I'll mention with some of these points, that's the kind of stuff that keeps us awake at night, of those, those sort of subtleties. Well, then, when we finally got them together and they looked at both of them, he actually changed his mind on the subtext. You know, we all do. We, we move along. We change our minds. And, uh, and, he, and he said, for the other one, the previous one, that was distracting, we tried it in different font sizes, et cetera. And in the end, he goes, you know, because I, I actually kind of do like the original. I know I was negative about it before, but it's really grown on me, and it does seem like a good modern style. So, but it's always the values. He's very concerned about the, the person viewing it, which is exactly what we need to be. As speakers, uh, you know you're taking speech class and you're working on that, one of the, the greatest uh, skills you can develop is to imagine being the person listening to you or imagine being the person reading you. And not everybody can, and it really is hard. It's a challenge because they're not you, right? If they were, it'd be easy. If, if all of you looked like me and sounded like me and thought like me, this would be the easiest speech I ever gave in my whole life. I'd be horrified because I'd hate to see a field like that, but still, it would be easy because I know exactly how you think and I know exactly what you care about and what you want to know and what you don't know, but that's not the case. And so Mr. Ames really strives to do that, even with our inserts that go in envelopes where we're offering a DVD. Uh, he's always looking at it and saying, ah, you know, this should jump out, this should jump out because he's thinking of what it looks like from the other person's perspective. It's a, it's a real gift. So he, he really serves a great oversight role in that regard and, and has input on everything that we and then there's me, so I'm the managing editor. Uh, my job is just to make sure it all happens, make sure we actually do make a magazine, we actually do these things, and to work with different authors and to uh, try to come up with different ideas to present to Mr. Weston and, and Mr. Ames. And then I have working under me the most amazing people in the world. And I'm saying that because they're in the room, and I want them to hear me <laughs> saying that. Uh, but two of them are here, if they wouldn't mind standing up real briefly. It's uh, uh, Mrs. Aguin and, and William Williams, if they'd stand up. Uh, they work very hard supporting me, and I'm not an easy person to support. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where their offices are. We, they try to group us all together so we stay out of trouble and then keep an eye on us. Uh, but we're here on this end of the building. Uh, thank you very much, y'all. Sit down. Thank you. Uh, also, Mr. John Robinson. I was going to try to bring a picture of him because one of my favorite pictures, you'll see in my office I have a speed racer helmet. So there's a story behind it. I won't go into detail. But anyway, and uh, it doesn't fit my head because I just got a big melon head. Uh, just, uh, I'm just a huge-headed but Mr. Robinson does. He's got this just wonderfully shaped, bearded, you know, narrow head, and he just happened to fit his head. So, like you would do for all your friends, I took the picture as fast as I could. You know, once I saw it was on his head, and that's the picture I have on my phone. So anyway, I wanted to print that off and hold that up. But he uh, is our art editor, so he does all the layout. Uh, you know, if we make something, uh, he's the one that makes it look good and makes it look pretty. And uh, and and when we talk about fretting, that's the kind of fretting we do in editorial. Like we're working on this evolution booklet. And talking about the potential of changing uh, the space between the lines by you know half a space, and uh, he does all that kind of research on well you know what fonts are readable uh, in different formats and at what sizes, how much white space is optimal. We'll see pe some people say that, you know oh you're wasting space, so you could make the lines longer, etc. But you'd be amazed at how much white space makes a difference 
Otherwise, why do we have one-inch margins on our pages at all, right? We can just go from edge to edge. All that makes a difference, and it burdens the reader psychologically. And believe it or not, we, we actually take those things into account, and I appreciate the, the expertise he brings to that. And there's Thomas. Uh, so anyway, Thomas is doing a, a lot of hard work for us these days. We're doing our best to fill his every minute of the hours that we get him uh, as much as we can, without abusing poor Thomas. You ever see him sobbing in a corner? It's probably my fault, and I, and I apologize. And he's very good at what he does. I just say, like, a, I, I wanted just some rough ideas of, of, of where to, to cut and change the, the booklet uh, from, from a younger person's perspective. And I told him, I said, highlight things you love in green and things you, uh, uh, you know, that it could probably go in yellow and the stuff that you don't like in red. And he was very kind. Didn't pick much red. I know he could have. Uh, but did a lot of yellow. And sure enough, a lot of that was, was good and cuttable. Uh, I couldn't do what I do without the people uh, under me. Uh, the commentaries that are coming out, that's virtually 100% William. Uh, I should be more involved, and I'm just not. I want to be up front. You know, it's very human endeavor is what we're doing, right? Ideally, I would be more involved, and I'm just not. He, he, he gets them. Uh, he, he makes runs them by risk and legal, et cetera. Now, sometimes I'll see them after the fact, and I'll have some feedback, but uh, I'm grateful. The uh, telecast programs that we do, editorial, if, as I'll get to, if it's content that matters, then Mr. Wesson has, has told us he wants editorial to be involved. But all of our content matters, right? I mean, it's not, there's nothing we just throw away. Uh, and so when it comes to the telecast, all those references, how it's formatted on the screen, et cetera, there's a text review process. And so sure enough, uh, William does all of that. And he goes and, and actually will look you know, frame by frame and sometimes pause something. And, oh, it says P, and it should say PP in terms of pages, et cetera. Oh, there's a period there. It should be a comma. Um, I, I've seen him identify an italicized uh, comma that shouldn't be italicized. So it's little things like that, and, uh, and I appreciate that so much. And, and Mrs. Aguin, uh, most important thing, she gave me a ride when the blackout happened yesterday. So I, uh, anyway, so if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be able to get around anywhere. No, actually, uh, they, they all work together really well. Mrs. Aguin is often my nexus for combining things because they get so much good input. And I... When I first start a job, I know I kind of have to do it. My very first feast was terrible. Not my first feast ever. That was wonderful. My first time running one. Because I kind of didn't know enough to even delegate. You kind of have to understand things even to be able to delegate them. And I, I didn't. I was just too stupid. And all the people I would use were going to other feast sites. I was only informed a few months before the feast came that I was running a feast site. So uh, so I did a lot of everything and just and just, just couldn't. Uh, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody survived because God is merciful. And it was a good feast. But after that feast, I learned a lot more and recognized, okay, this can go here and there. Well, same thing in editorial at first when I started, I guess, two and a half years ago. I didn't know enough to even be able to delegate uh, responsibly, and I'm, I'm learning to, to do that. And I know I, I lean on Mrs. Aguin a lot to, uh, to combine. Like when everybody sends in, we have a wonderful pool of volunteer uh, proofreaders. When all that comes in, I was spending... You know, a day kind of going over every little red mark trying to put it all together, but now she'll go in and use words, features to highlight, you know, the different input that people have given, and it's just a, oh, man, I'm, anyway, I, I go on and on. So I do want to talk about what we do, but I could talk about who we are uh, forever because I'm just, uh, ah, I'm, I'm as blessed as a man can be. And I should really bring my wife up here as well because otherwise I'd just be a blubbering idiot, more so than I am right now. But I didn't have that kind of support as well. So that really is our department. And yet Mr. Ames constantly reminds us, and I, I don't bring this out to, uh, to pat ourselves on the back, but it's uh, he tries to emphasize that, you know, back in Worldwide, it was a department of, you know, maybe 40 people. Uh, it was a large department. Now, admittedly, they did produce more. 
Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, I, it, it has felt that sometimes my team accomplishes that much, and I, I appreciate it very much. So what do we do then? That's fine. Okay, great. So what do we do then? Here's the people. What are you doing? Well, I've tried to find as many C words as I could. Why the letter C? Because the first few had the letter C, and so I thought I'm sticking with it. So uh, anyway, so what is it we do? The most important thing, if you walked away from here and had to think one thing about the editorial department, is content, content, content. And those aren't the three words that start with C. They're the same word, I understand. Uh, but content, content, content. Uh, Mr. Weston, wow, I guess about two years ago, it was some time ago, it was a, uh, a meeting, it was back before he changed offices, uh, I think it was before Dr. Merritt died, but, but Dr. Merritt was leaning on him more and more, the, you know, the transition, which uh, the way Dr. Merritt handled all that was just really amazing. And Mr. Weston made really clear, if it was content of substance, he wanted editorial to be a part. Now that, that said, it was I was appreciative they also follow with the idea that we want to beef up editorial. We want we want editorial to have more assistance. Uh, that was actually part of when Mrs. Gwen showed up and we got permission to uh, to begin leaning all over Thomas, you know, and, and start adding more more support so that you know William didn't die an early death and I didn't die <laughs> and I didn't die in, well mine's not as early uh, as Williams, but still you know that, that we didn't die sooner than we should. So he was committed to also then providing the support because God is like that, right? God doesn't expect anything of you that he will not give you the support to be able to accomplish. God never says, I expect you to do this, and I know you don't have it in you, and I could help, but I'm not going to. He just doesn't. Uh, and so God does that, and go figure, we strive to do that in the church as well. So Mr. Wesson did. He said, look, if it's content of significance, I really want editorial to, to take a look. And so he's begun passing more and more to editorial to be able to review but, so what is not of significance? Announcements, for instance. In general, announcements is a good example. Uh, announcements for the camps, announcements you know, that, that they go out. But parts of the announcements uh, we do, like the news and prophecy part. That's something he, he, uh, he, he added editorial to, to do. But you know, uh, if you're supposed to bring strawberry fondue to the ladies' event, you know, we're not going to review that, so I hope you spell it right and everything, and I hope you, hope you get that right. But generally, why though? You know, why, why really is that? There's a, uh, there's reason for that, and there's a lot of C's uh, uh, concerning that. One is uh, correctness. I don't really like correctness. I liked accuracy better, but it didn't start with a C. So uh, I'm sticking with correctness because we want to be right. But that doesn't mean that editorial is somehow more right than everybody else. It's just that someone has to be responsible for it. You know what I'm saying? Is that, does that make sense? It's that someone has to be accountable for making sure it's so. And as an author <coughs> and as a telecast presenter, I recognize I need that kind of help. In fact, there is a mistake. If you want to see me make a mistake that still exists in video form, uh, you can go to, what was the name of that telecast? Uh, it was Offering U.S. and Britain in Prophecy. I can't remember the name, but I know what I was doing. I was talking about, oh, first you'll hear me mispronounce hegemony. I said it's hegemony. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the laugh. But uh, I've seen that word in print. I don't know how. <laughs> Happened on my first Tomorrow's World Now also. Uh, I've seen hegemony in print many, 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 many times. But I'd literally never heard it out loud. And I'd always presumed that I was saying it right in my head. So on the telecast, I say, you know, hegemony, you know, and you're moving on. 
And it wasn't until no one caught it. It gets produced and it's out there in the world. And finally, Mr. Ameson, you know, it's in Germany. Uh, great. But that's not even what I'm talking about. I actually uh, 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 taught a, uh, a prophecy wrong. I talked about how in Habakkuk, it is talking about how uh, the, uh, the, the uh, debtor, uh, the debtors talked about in, uh, in Habakkuk. And I, I use that to refer to the United States and these all of us Israelite nations just growing in debt. And that's not an accurate interpretation of that. Now, the thing is, when I made the script, uh, we actually corrected it before that. Uh, who was it? I think Mr. Ames noticed. And it was Mr. Weston, of all things. He was actually off in Canada, so it had a Canadian accent, you know, when he wrote. But he actually said, he goes, oh, no, no, no. He, goes, that, he says, I'm seeing that more and more, but that's a mistake. And it really is. How do we understand prophecy? How do we know what nations are what? We identify the nation that's being discussed, right? If it's Manasseh, if it's Ephraim, it's the U.S. doesn't make a difference what it says about them. We identify the nations. Uh, and the nation being discussed by Habakkuk is not any Israelite nations. It's the Chaldeans. And don't get me wrong. There's other prophecies that say we're going to be stewing in our own debt, filth. Uh, we are, but not that one. And just because it talks about debt doesn't mean we can apply it to the U.S. We still have to be consistent with our approach. So I was so grateful he caught it and fixed it in the script. And somehow the script that we ended up using that day was the older script. I remember when we were done, it was longer, too. It's like, I thought the script was shorter than that, you know. But it's amazing how you can be doing this. And you don't even think about it while you're doing it. You're just kind of going going through it. It was only fixed the day before. Um, so it's a mistake, and it's out there, you know forever. But it's one verse, right? That's why we talk about booklets, we believe, hopefully, that we write are inspired, and articles are inspired, and sermons are inspired, but not inspired in the way the Bible is. That is, they're not perfect. They're us doing our best uh, to teach these things. So I've experienced that. My, my articles, I've experienced the, the blessings of having someone who it's their job to take a look at just to make sure we're not missing something. One of the, I don't know terrorists too exaggerating a word, but I like to be dramatic sometimes. One of the awful, terrible things uh, being behind the lectern is there's no, there's no filter between you and the congregation other than God putting a watch on your mouth, right? And so it makes you think, please, God, you know, help, help me not make mistakes. Um, because you know he's going to let you slip up every once in a while, keep you, keep you good and humble. So that's part of our job is to make sure things are correct. It's kind of like when uh, Apollos was going around and, and teaching, and it just wasn't, he had the right idea, and he was so close, right? Uh, but they took him aside and helped him explain the way more accurately. And so that's that's part of our job. That's part of what Mr. Wesson has told us he, he wants us to uh, to look for. And, by the way, that actually includes our foreign language materials, which is difficult because I don't. none of us speak any of those languages. I, I guess I haven't checked. Mrs. Aguin, do you speak Spanish? No. Okay. Uh, you speak Portuguese? William, just check in. No, all right, I don't know. So uh, generally, if they're translations of stuff we've already made, we assume it's all good. But if they make something new, if they really want to write something new, uh, then Mr. Weston has asked that an English translation be provided so that so that it can be reviewed and taken a look at. So um, we just want to make sure things are are correct. And all of us need that kind of review. Even as a minister, I think the other ministers here can can perhaps confirm. I don't think I'm alone. But my wife actually is a good help in that regard because she's always listening and she'd say, did you really mean to say that, that Jesus tempted the devil instead of the devil tempted Jesus? No, I didn't, honey. Thank you for telling me that. Wow, I'll have to make sure the congregation knows. Uh, so anyway, that's part of the editorial department is to make sure that things are, that are accurate, that they're correct. And also in terms of references, uh, we'll try. We just can't get to everything, but we'll try to, uh, 
to, to double check those references if we can. All right, another C is clarity. Um, sometimes what we say isn't what other people hear. And there needs to be someone that helps, that assists in some kind of way, that is educating themselves in those kinds of things to help all of us do a, a job at that. The Apostle Paul says that if the trumpet that's blown makes a sound that is uncertain, then who's going to know to rally to it? Well, sometimes the trumpeter doesn't realize it's an uncertain sound. And someone, it has to be their job to, to look at those things and consider whether there's something uncertain. And again, I've benefited from that kind of thing. I can't tell you how many times I write an article, and I know what I'm saying, and it's perfect. It's pristine. It's, it's, it's virtually the Bible <laughs> photocopied into an article, right? I, mean, I just know it until someone says, yeah, dude, were you trying to say this? Because that's how this came across. No, that's not at all what I was trying to say. I wasn't trying to say, go hug a Christmas tree and dress up like Santa. What? How, how did that come out? Um, we need someone to help us. You know, That's part of the, the, the department's job is to, to look for clarity. And it does, get pretty, uh, it does get pretty picky. Even this morning, I was discussing with someone now that they've, they've seen the, uh, the cover of the Evolution booklet, which I'm very excited about finishing so we can actually send it to people. Uh, and they were suggesting, well, hey, how about instead of evolution and creation, what both sides miss, evolution or creation, what both sides miss, so as to uh, make it more stark so you don't have, say, a theistic evolution, which is a whole chapter we had to cut out about theistic evolution. And believe it or not, I can't tell you how much time was spent on that one conjunction before this, because... And was chosen very specifically. I know it's only three letters, but it was chosen because of the audience that we're hoping to reach. Mr. Weston and Mr. Sasaki were at the NIB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last year. And this guy, we always use this symbol. If you see us doing this, it's not because we're in a game. We're just trying to reproduce this one presentation talking about the kinds of people that are out there in the world that can be reached. And there was this group of those, the way Mr. Weston put it, because I, I discussed this very specifically with him, was, Imagine we're trying to reach someone with this booklet. Because if you don't have a target audience, then you just then you don't really have an audience. You're just kind of generally uh, talking to yourself. Imagine someone who uh, wants to believe the Bible is true, but is troubled for two things. One is they're troubled by some of the teachings they've heard associated with the Bible, like the Bible teaches a 6,000-year earth, and yet there seems to be so much evidence that it's older than that. And yet the Bible teaches that, they're, they're struggling with that. But then also someone who's struggling because evolution is a fact. And they've been taught it's a fact. Either their whole life or they've been educated later to think it's a fact. And that doesn't seem to mesh with the Bible either. And so once you narrow that down, it allowed us actually to make a lot of choices that clarified things. But also allowed us to pick a title. Evolution or creation is how things are so often painted, like this kind of stark choice. And don't get me wrong, the choice is pretty stark. But part I want to say with this booklet is even a lot of creationists get it wrong. And so rather, we want to make it evolution and creation, talking about the two sides of a debate. But why? Because both sides are missing things. Both sides are missing points. And you would not believe how much thought goes into the single word and versus or. And so I person didn't know what they were in for when they talked to me about that this morning because it gave me a chance to talk about that discussion. We we actually do care about those kind of things. We had a, a, a mini-celebration among some of us that in 2019 were adopting the Oxford comma 
Uh, those of you who know what that means, uh, it's like a, it, like in a series of things. Like let's say you always see uh, this is what I was celebrating. Um, for instance, if you say, uh, hey, I'm going to the store because I need to buy some apples, bananas, and pears. Do you type apples, comma, bananas, comma, and pears, or apples, comma, bananas, and pears? Because with the and, people argue you don't need another comma. And those are people who don't like the Oxford comma. It's called the Oxford comma or the serial comma. Then there are those that just say, like me, I was taught at least since junior high, no, a comma behind that other item as well. Well, both have their tendencies towards uh, miscommunication, uh, but lacking the Oxford comma in general seems to cause more concern. Though people differ. For example, let me say, uh, let me say I decide to dedicate my, uh, my book, my, my uh, evolution booklet, to some uh, important people in my life. So I write, uh, you know, I want to dedicate this book to uh, my parents, uh, Mr. McNair and Dr. Winnell. Well, if you don't put that Oxford comma, it looks like, well, I want to dedicate this book to my parents, comma, Mr. McNair and Dr. Winnell, uh, versus, you know, my parents, comma, Mr. McNair, comma, and Dr. Winnell. So someone in the world has to fret about details like that, and that's our job, you know, that's what we do. It's a, it's a part of clarity. Uh, it is harder to be clear than you might think, and I have... I, I can't think of a time, I'm sure there is one, but I can't think of a time when I haven't benefited from some kind of feedback that helped me realize uh, I wasn't being clear. In fact, it is one of the spooky things. I know when I was teaching math, I always recognized that the example I would, the first example I give wouldn't get everybody. It would get maybe a third. And the second example might get another fourth. And with each example, I hoped to kind of pare away at who it wasn't getting. And that was actually one of my challenges because I tend to want to give too many examples and thus take too long uh, when I really need to, uh, to move on and then let that last group be able to come for individual instruction. But I kind of wanted to pack them all into the lesson. Um, and that's, that's difficult. You know, giving a sermon, there's going to be people that, that misunderstand. So we strive. Mr. Mr. Apartian said in my very first pastoral conference, he told all of us, people will always misunderstand you, but you can't allow that to be your excuse not to constantly seek to be better understood. And I've always appreciated that. It, it accepted the reality, but then took away the excuse. And so that's part of our job, is we do our best to try to make things as clear as possible by imagining the, uh, the audience that is listening. Credibility. Credibility. Um, that's next C, credibility. Uh, we strive to make everything we have credible. You know, when you're trying to convince people, what you think about everything we do, we're trying to convince people for the most part. The things that we're starting to do here and there aren't always for convincing. They are to build credibility. But even if you're trying to convince, you need to be credible. Uh, the classic construction of what you want to do when you're seeking to persuade is you want to uh, you want to approach it from the three different perspectives: logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos is your your reasoning. You want sound reasoning. Pathos is the emotion. If you can engage the emotion in any kind of way, you're more likely to persuade. But then ethos, which sounds like ethics and it's related, but it's your credibility. It's why we do our telecast from a fancy-looking studio and not here in this room, as nice as it is. We could do the whole telecast, same script, with this background and never move. <coughs> and it's just its a fact of life that wouldn't have the same impact. Now, don't get me wrong. God can still perform the same miracle. He can still call as many people. But we'd be kind of saying, God, we expect you to work a little harder because we're not willing to do more. Uh, the fact is, when you turn on a program you see someone in a professional setting, there's an expectation that what they're saying will be more worthwhile. 
even though the message is exactly the same. Uh, we could give sermons and dress down. I could show up in my tank top, you know, uh, you know, maybe with a bowl of, uh, I don't know, pot pie, you know, and kind of take a bite every once and give exactly otherwise the same sermon. But I'd be damaging my own credibility the whole time. So we, we focus on credibility. Is, is, is what we're saying the most credible way? We had an example recently uh, with uh, uh, news sources. I have to, I can publicly express here uh, <coughs> my admiration of uh, what Dr. Scott and his team is able to do producing the news and prophecy every single week. Mainly because I know I couldn't do it. Uh, and they do it every single week, coming up with <coughs> material, and, and that is really difficult. And so sometimes you're finding things on the fly. You find a source from WorldNet Daily. Right, because some of us read WorldNet daily. Uh, you find uh, uh, Sputnik News was the one we talked about recently, uh, which is uh, frankly it's a news organization from the Russian government. However, <laughs> it's still a good item. It's interesting, right? Uh, and it's not just praising Putin. It's something interesting. And so you find these sources, but then they're sources we can't always use. Like for instance, Mr. Meredith advised me uh, when I asked he, he was advising me 2006 or so when I was added to the telecast. He advised me to get multiple subscriptions to newspapers so I could stay, you know, and he said, hey, look, well, I know it's expensive, and we're not paying. So anyway, you know, he said, here, you know, here, here's, get some. And I said, well, what do you recommend? He said, well, he goes, look, I'm like the next guy. I prefer the Wall Street Journal. You know, we're, we're more socially conservative, and the, the things are more, but he says, honestly, you need to get the New York Times. Uh, Wall Street Journal, personal, that's great. It's a good source. But for the world, the New York Times is more credible. Uh, it's, whether it's liberal or not, it's still the paper of record. And the point is credibility. So even if I find a good article in some other resource, I'll often go try to find it for citable purposes someplace else. And so we'll often switch things out. Uh, in the most recent case, we were able to find the, the original source of the interview that was quoted, and we were able to, to, uh, to source it. Regrettably, it was uh, uh, all in German. Uh, and their English language translation, they took off the internet for some reason, but thankfully Google had it in their cache. So uh, you know, we were still able to get their actual translation. But, but credibility uh, is, is important. And so we, it's, we can't ignore it. We have, to keep that, we have to keep that in mind. You want to be able to say it doesn't make a difference. The message is still true, but it does make a difference. That's the thing. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, he strove with all his might to present the most credible, accept, not acceptable in terms of compromising, but in terms of not putting burdens in people's way, uh, message that he could. And God expects the same of us. He doesn't expect us to work the miracles only he can work. But he doesn't expect us to do everything humanly possible. And so that's what we seek to do. So that was a C, credibility. Also, consistency. Another C, actually. All these are Cs. I'm very proud of myself. Um, speaking with the same voice. Speaking with the same voice. The editorial department serves in that regard. And that when people are talking, admittedly, in the ministry, we're very united. Mr. Uh, well, we're living, but we're all together. Uh, in the last council meeting, Mr. Weston talked about how, man, he said, he, he, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is some of what he said. At the end, he said that, you know, if the whole church was as uh, unified as we are in this room, it would be an amazing thing for the church. Because we don't think like robots, we don't think all the same, and yet we're all just so together, you know, and working together. And it's all about about uh, doing things right. And I admit, I... I I love being part of the Council of Elders, and, I, and I'm very appreciative to get to see that, you know, to see God's government the, the way that at least I truly believe it ought, to, it ought to run. However, that said, we really are different people. And um, there's a challenge in editorial that we want to always, in all of our edits, still preserve the voice of the writer, and yet there still has to be one voice. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we all, we all need, well, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 
the Apostle Paul said, that we should all speak the same thing. Right? We should all speak the same thing. Now, ideally, the same thing's on the inside. And we all naturally speak the same thing. But the reality is that we're all growing. Right? And I, I, I've talked to some ministers. I remember one particular elder someplace, somewhere. You know, you wouldn't know who. And if you would, I wouldn't tell you. Uh, but anyway, he was telling me about something. But I just know we don't teach. I know. I know. I know. I know we don't teach. And we're sitting in the car. We're sitting in the car right together. And I said, I've, I don't, I've literally never heard that before. And he said, oh, no. I, I know that's what we teach. Uh, it was in the, um, the old correspondence course, I think. And, and we looked, and it wasn't. It wasn't there. But he knew. He knew he had heard it multiple times that this is what we teach. And I checked with all the people I can. I mean, Dr. Merritt was still alive. And we don't. You know, we don't teach that. But he was so convicted. He just knew that was what we teach. And that can happen to any of us, you know, for a lot of different reasons. There has to be someone who's responsible to, to, to help review that and make sure that it's consistent. And if it does vary, then it's, it's something Mr. Wesson's aware about that he wants to know. Uh, and so that's what we do. We, we help maintain a consistency. Um, there's things that I thought we've always taught until I talked to someone else about it. He said, yeah, we haven't taught that. Uh, I'm not sure where you got that, but, you know, it's very creative of you. So, really? Why? You know, sometimes it may be growing up in the church with a local elder who always taught it because he thought it was always taught or, or maybe he didn't. You know, he just was a little excited about his idea. Uh, you know, those things do happen. And that's why we have uh, uh, editorial to kind of help us um, be consistent and speak with, with one voice. Another C, creativity. Uh, that is expected. We're trying to come up with new ideas, new things to do, and that's why I'm going to have this very exciting survey to pass out to all of you uh, later that you don't have to turn in. No accountability at all. I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to turn in, you guys, especially now. In fact, I would even not look at it until after you know your final period and all the rest, and, and you're on your break, and you're at home, and you're about to do something fun, and you realize, I know something more fun. <laughs> I'm going to fill out this survey for editorial. So anyway, keep that in mind. So just hold on to it, but, but don't, don't worry about it anytime really soon. But creativity, we're looking for new avenues, right? We're looking for new things to do. And here's where I'd like this to, to, uh, to be a, a little more interactive. Um, the, the model we've done for so long that, that shouldn't go away, but shouldn't be all we lean on, is essentially, um, uh, say, booklets, booklets, right? Uh, and the telecast. And uh, no matter how the content goes out, editorial cares, right? We care about it. It's uh, whether it's whether it's in print, whether it's in digital form, you know, we care. But we're trying to understand. Well, uh, I want to preface what you might say here in the next few seconds. Um, what are other ways we can do that? Because a lot of those things aren't as effective as they used to be. Um, let me just ask you, given the environment that you live in, I mean, of course, that includes being here, um, but the environment that you've grown up in, that you live in, what kind of challenges would, and you could be wrong, don't worry if you're wrong, that's fine, I'll, I'll you know, point it out and I'll make fun of you, but I, would, I wouldn't do that, really, no, I will. Uh, what, what do you see as potentially challenging for the work in this environment, this day and age, that maybe wasn't in 1980? I know you may not remember 1980, especially if you didn't exist, but still, you know, from, from what you've seen of how we do things, what do you think is particularly challenging in terms of trying to get our message out to the world? Any thoughts, any any ideas? Think about Explosive Club. Not a long answer, but I definitely want to let you say, uh, yes, Andy. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> Wait, you're, you're next. You were totally next. So, uh, yes, sir. Uh, the attention span of a lot of people. Like, okay. I've noticed, like, on YouTube, 
watch video for like a minute mm -hmm. and like, oh, this is boring, and then shut it off and go to the next one. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, here's how I've heard that characterized. Let me check with you to see if that's what you're saying. I've heard that people of, of y'all's age will watch long content or read long content, but you've got a tiny window in which to earn somebody's attention. Uh, and when you do earn it, it better follow through, and it better be worth the time. But if you don't get their attention in that time span, they're going to go to something else because there's so much that's offering instead. You know, is that is that match what you're saying that you've really got this tiny attention window? But if you earn it, they might be willing to leave that tab open, or they might be willing to read it. But you've got the brief time to earn it. Does that sound like what you're saying? Yeah. Does it? All right. Yeah. Oh, I said you were next. <laughs> um, I think one of the challenges is that there's just so much information out there, mm -hmm. um, and not just general information. There are plenty of other um, religious and otherwise. Um, I guess advocates or people trying to get their messages out as well and you kind of have to almost I guess not contend for it but mm. still present yourself as something that people should listen to okay uh, let me let me try to paraphrase what you're saying and, and kind of add a specificity I know when I was growing up well I, I knew about the telecast because I was told about it by a friend of mine uh, at the time it was Mr. Armstrong and said hey you gotta watch it and it was there on WTBS we at least had cable it was WTBS but especially before that, local channels didn't have a lot. For In Texas and Dallas, it was Channel 4, Channel 5, Channel 8, Channel 11, Channel 13 for Sesame Street and stuff. Well, Nova, I like that. And then it was the UHF channels that nobody went to. You know, That was all, you know, Telemundo perhaps, you know, and some other things. And so if we had an hour or half an hour for the program, that was like one of maybe five choices that people had. And you're switching around and that's kind of it. From what I hear what you're saying, and kind of put it in these practical terms, People have so many choices. Well, we went home last night, and what did we watch? We, we I think we watched a Parks and Rec rerun that we've seen 40 times, and uh, we watched uh, oh the, the 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 pilot of Eureka. Did anyone know the series Eureka? It was on Sci-Fi stuff a long time ago. It was pretty cute. And those are shows that have been dead for a long time, and we just watched them again. I don't even know what new would have been on last night. I don't even know what news happened. We could have a new president, as far as I know. And that, there's so much to choose from, right? And that's kind of what you're saying, that not even just the world to choose from, but even religiously. It's like Roku. We were one of the first people on Roku, and so people were getting our channel. But now every religious guy you know, who's trying to find a new avenue is on Roku. And as that happened, we saw our, our ranking just drop just because so many people were on. Uh, and it's a challenge. So like I was saying, there's just so many voices out there that it's a challenge for us to be to have us heard over other people. Is that what you're saying? There was one other comment. Was that? Yes. We'll take you two. Yes. Uh, the the idea that everything needs to be accepted. So obviously, with with our beliefs, it being so contradictory to the mainstream belief that religion, I think, as a whole, is being looked at by the younger generation, our generation, and even generations below us, as we start indoctrinating younger generations, that religion is turning into almost a hate in general. I mean, you talk about any kind of religion if it doesn't accept homosexuality, transgender, all this stuff that's happening then it's becoming a hate avenue. So to even get the word or them to even be willing to hear what it is that we have to say, they're anti-religion, period. Okay. So in this sense, it's just the culture is so radically different. And that, my understanding, at least, I know when I was interested, I, I at least, I was reared to believe the Bible was where I need to look for truth. Um, and I was reared to, uh, to believe that God existed. And so the message that, that worked for me was that the Bible doesn't say what you think it says. And that really caught my attention. 
And it was and it was not Mr. Armstrong putting across. It was clear. It's like I didn't even know some of the stuff he said was in the Bible. But there are people now that actually it's like, well, why would I care what's in the Bible? It's all bad. Or uh, or what what difference does it make? You know, it's uh, why would I care about the Bible versus what I would care about what's in the Quran or, or anything else? Is that what you're saying? <clears throat> sure. Okay. Um, well, you, I was tempted to kind of pretend you didn't raise your hand like no, I did. You know, but no, I'm going to remember. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, really, go ahead. Okay. Um, basically, adding off of what Jake said, um, in the society where trends are, you know, like staying current, staying on top of, um, you know, what, what's happening in the world and reaching every audience while mm-hmm. still being politically correct, mm-hmm. um, probably hard because you you know you can you have to put out the truth but what you're going to say is not always politically correct or what right. you want to hear and you have to reach every audience just right okay by the way I was I was joking about ignoring you like I did in the sermon that's what I was trying to do, <laughs> I to do that. um okay and I that does have come a lot and let me paraphrase again what I think you're saying because I think that's something we are running into actually a lot which is the atmosphere is so charged right now. I mean, you can say very, you can say so little that doesn't come across like, like you're uh, apparently part of the KKK, you know, or the alt right, or, or even the other part. If you're not so solidly, cons- well, you're just one of the communists, aren't you? You might as well go vote for a Democrat tomorrow. Uh, and everyone puts this giant burden on what you have to say. It's like no matter what you say, it's loaded with so much baggage. They don't even hear what you're saying anymore because all they hear is what they've been trained to hear when someone says something uh, that's even related to that topic. Is that kind of what you're saying? There's so much, but it's a very, it's a very difficult environment. It really is, and we're facing regulations related to those kind of things. Um, you know, in New Zealand, I, I think Mr. Weston explained it recently. Um, they essentially have passed regulation about television that you can't describe any uh, group. Of, I'm going to summarize it perhaps poorly. You can't describe any group uh, of people in a manner that does not agree with what society already thinks about those people, uh, the, the society's opinion. So, for instance, homosexuality. You condemn homosexuality, but society in general has decided that it shouldn't be condemned and is just as good as heterosexuality, and they say that they will censor you and not allow your program um, to air. It used to be, way back when I first, 2006, when I was writing my first script, I was warned that in Canada, of all things, you don't think Canada would be the place that's really cracking down on free speech? What's up, Mr. Frank? Do you know what's going on? But anyway, they were. They were more draconian. They even had a judge say, uh, this could be a quote, I think it is, but I can't say for certain, who said, uh, we don't worship freedom of speech like you do in the United States. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that it's a repressive country. Canada's far too polite to be that repressive, right? But at the same time, it is. Um, because there's a certain, you want to say a friendliness they're trying to maintain, what we couldn't do back when I started writing scripts in 2006 for my telecast was you couldn't look to the camera and editorialize about homosexuality. You couldn't look up from your Bible or, sorry, not be reading from the Bible and talk about how homosexuality is a sin and that God is trying to, uh, uh, that God, there won't be any of that in the kingdom and that God is going to teach families you know, proper relationships. But you could read from the Bible you could read those verses. Unless you weren't reading, let's all stone them. You, as long as you weren't reading that verse, you could read where the Bible says that homosexuals will not be in the kingdom. But you couldn't come across from you. You had to be reading from the book. And we were, the Bible talks about being, well, Jesus talks about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
and that's what we seek to do. My, I tend to have a Star Trek analogy for that, uh, which is I want to keep shields down as long as I can for the other ship. I don't want them to think about raising shields until my torpedoes have already blown away their bridge, right? That's my goal, is I want phasers locked, firing on the ship where they go, whoa, we got to raise shields. And when you start saying things, well, today we're going to talk about race relations, the KKK, abortion, and, and people's shields go, uh, you know, they're not going to hear anything you say after that. But can you talk about it in a way that catches someone off guard? Uh, that's really part of our challenge, and we're having to be creative. That's the C we're on, creativity. And we're looking for ideas. We're looking for just new avenues. I, I, I've got some literature possibilities I'm working on to run by as demos to Mr. Ames and such, where we're doing um, white papers. I know that sounds like, well, who would want a white paper? That's actually even less polished than a booklet. But you see that a lot more. You see things that, that if, if you want our white paper, you can download it here. Uh, and it has a different feel to it. Oddly, by having less of a cover, a simpler cover, sometimes it comes across as more credible. That sound odd? Sometimes a speaker and spokesman club can come across so polished that it's a little too used car salesman. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to sometimes polish and authenticity don't correspond with some audiences. And by actually toning it down just a bit, you actually have to, now you don't want to fake it and put in some fake misspellings, uh, you know, and have something slightly <laughs> off-center. Uh, what did someone say? Is it not a real quote, thankfully, but it was a fake quote. Uh, you know, authenticity is the most important thing. If you can fake that, you've got it made. Uh, so no, don't do that, right? That's a, don't bear false witness. We can't do that. But yet at the same time, if, if, if there's a way that people are used to looking at material that we haven't discovered yet, uh, like one of the things the survey will talk about um, in different ways is how do we get in people's way? People aren't going to switch through a thousand channels, you know, necessarily anymore. They're going to be looking for information. How do we? How do we? How do we get in your way? You know what? What did Paul do? Paul went into the marketplaces where people were going to hear. You couldn't go buy your pork for the day uh, if and and not pass by this guy who was presenting a message in Athens and other places. But you know, for you guys, for instance, what, what is that? So we're having to be creative. And then finally, this isn't as, I should say creativity for last because it was more exciting, but care. Uh, because we care in editorial. Uh, no, actually, I'm thinking more of a, oh, I should have said customer care. That have been two C's in one item. Uh, we're trying to develop our subscribers. So what are ways that so, someone subscribes to us? Congratulations. They may not have even wanted the magazine. They just wanted the booklet. But they got stuck with a magazine also, right? Well, how do we bring those people along? How do we actually invest in them in a kind of way where they start to realize, you know, what's just one booklet? These people actually know something. These kind of people are tapped into something I want to be tapped into. Uh, how do we care for those people in a way that brings them along? And that's something that we are um, working on, subscriber development. And that actually, uh, part of the motivator of that really is Mr. Weston, because he's thinking... Like, for instance, we, we've delayed Dr. Meredith's booklet because they wanted to do some extra edits, uh, a little more than was planned. It, it was going to be kind of straightforward, but he wanted to thin it out. He wanted the, they, some of his repetition where he says, well, what we've covered so far, he wanted to take it out. Then they want an ISBN number, you know, like other, like other books have. So little by little, it's been extended. Well, that's fine. There weren't that many people requesting it. Uh, this is a good example of the kind of stuff we are willing to do, whereas it doesn't have broad appeal. It's the Protestant Reformation. There's people your age saying, you know, what's a reformation, right? So, but for those people for whom it does appeal, it's a deep appeal. And that alone is worthwhile. 
So Mr. Weston will do like he did a telecast on baptism. It was a telecast on baptism. We knew from the beginning it was not going to pull a bunch of responses. But it wasn't about getting a bunch of responses. It was about, for those who have come along, can we develop them a little further? And the Protestant Reformation book is a good example that didn't have super broad appeal, but yet for those whom it did touch, it touched them very deeply. So we definitely want to get it out to them, but it was worth taking the extra time to do some of the ideas that came up later. So what did Mr. West say? He said, well, let's send everybody a letter. It's only 1,300 people or so. It depends on other countries a little more than that, but 1,300 people or so. Let's send them a letter that says, hey, we haven't forgotten you. We're working on this. We're taking a little extra time uh, to get it together. In the meantime, uh, would you like this collection of two programs by Rod King talking about the apostles' journeys? Um, because if they're already interested in history, Protestant Reformation, would they be interested to know where the apostles went? So rather than so turning lemons into lemonade, we want to take more time and use this as an opportunity to develop somebody further. And that's something that, that we do. Uh, you know, I was going to go by my office at this point, but it's just... There's really nothing there. Uh, if you go, you're just going to play with my Lego toys anyway and stuff and mess them up. So I'm going to skip that and I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, we have just a few moments left. Before I pass out this survey for you to keep forever, uh, any questions? Does anybody have any questions about the department and what we do? Because we would be glad to answer them. All right. Well, if you ever want to stop by, feel free uh, and take a look. And we keep a chart of what's going on with the magazine on the wall at all times. So you can come by and take a look. Feel free and look at the articles and ask us questions. But let me go ahead and explain this uh, this survey. I did the same thing the last assembly I did on uh, editorial with uh, Living University students. It's it's six pages. I agree. Okay, it's a lot. However, you don't have to. So I, I'll, I'll fess up. Those Living University students I had two whole people turn it in. So. If you want to be disappointing like they were. <laughs> no, because I want in some organized fashion uh, to, to harvest your thoughts and harvest your opinions. I get opinions all the time, and I, I can't tell you how grateful I am. Camp, one of the reasons I love going to camp is because, believe it or not, I know you all do because you're there, teenagers and 20-somethings love the work, and they want it to happen, and they want to talk about it, and they have ideas, and I am super grateful for that. Because a lot of times, you know, I think, yeah, I know what young people like, you know, I I think I can put something together. Then I remember, yeah, I really am 48. I know I'm not always as mature as most 48 years old are. So, so you know, I know what Halo is, and I go yo dog a lot. I know y'all. Um, but still, getting that feedback um, from you guys and seeing people excited about the work at camp and such is fantastic. I love it. And so all the more I, I, I want to, in an organized way, try to actually come up with some questions. And if some of the questions are odd. Just get those. And you can do this anonymously. You don't actually have to leave your name on it. Though if you do uh, want some feedback or want to talk, there's a place for you to do that. And, and, and the last thing I'll say before I pass this out, or get it passed out, is please, this is going to sound terrible. I don't assume you're liars. But please be honest. Um, what you're not, what you're, you're not liars. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but what most of you are, I do believe, all the ones I know, uh, is you're good, I was going to say good kids. Keep in mind, I call people older than me kids when I say it that way, right? You're good people. You're good young individuals in the church. And uh, the, I call that good kid disease. It's not bad. It's good. But like at camp, I'll give you a good example as I'm wrapping up. There was a couple of uh, young guys, 20-somethings, that were uh, – uh, I like to use parents as, as uh, uh, counselors at the preteen camps because I, I want to point – preteens to, to older people, and because they, they recognize things that, that 20-somethings just don't recognize when a kid's 
you know, flicking things on his friend and stuff like that. So anyway, they, uh, I, I, in that case, I, I didn't have enough people, so I had these two wonderful 20-somethings. You probably know both of them. I won't say who they are. I might have talked to them privately. But anyway, they're doing a great job. They were fantastic, and I knew they would be. That's why, that's why I picked them. Uh, but then sure enough, um, there was something that was a challenge in the dorm. They didn't tell me until about two-thirds of the way through camp. And uh, when they told me, I was able to fix it lickety-split. But it was really something the camp director needs to address. It wasn't something the counselors can address. And sometimes counselors do that, even at the teen camp. They'll let something go thinking it's their responsibility to fix it, and they, they end up not really being able to, and they really need to bring someone in earlier. And part of what happens is, uh, is, is good kid disease, where it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to persevere. I'm seven laws of success. You know, I'm going to do that, and, and I want to keep a positive attitude, when really it's like, no, this really is pretty bad. You need to you need to tell somebody. You know, good attitudes are great. You should have them. But there really is a time when you're not you're not complaining and whining in the way the Israelites did. You're rather bringing something to the attention. Like if you're a wife, there's going to be times you're going to have to give bad news to your husband. He's not going to want to hear it, and he's going to want to throw his beer down and throw his pot pie out the window. I'm just kidding. Marry somebody else. Uh, but you know, you're going to have, you're not complaining and whining like the Israelites did. You're being a good partner. You're being a part of the team. And Mr. Weston has emphasized to us, we can't be thin-skinned. If someone comes up and says, uh, I want to make up something, if you say this, it'll break my heart, but I need to hear it. But Tomorrow's World Magazine is the most boring thing I've ever read in my whole life. Uh, I need to see it. If someone wants to say, you are the ugliest television presenter I've ever seen, and I can't listen to what you say because your big gob just distracts me the whole time you're talking. I need, I hope it's not like that, right? But I need to be able to hear that because we don't get better unless... People are willing to be up front. So I get it. You're all for the work, and you're praying for it, and you believe in it, and, and you're positive about it, but that doesn't help us make it any better. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We, we don't want to be thin-skinned. We really need real input. And so when it asks you things about how you engage with our material and stuff, please, please, just just, just let us know. You will not get in trouble. Uh, you know, we, we, just, we just need to know. Does that make sense? All right. I'm done. Do I need to introduce anybody else before I get down, or is that it? All right, that's it. So uh, I'm going to just pass these around, and thank you very much.